0: then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This show is all about commercial property investing for the private investor whether you're just getting started or scaling up your portfolio. Through interviews, tips, and lessons learned along the way, we want to give you the inspiration, knowledge, and confidence to enjoy this great cash-flowing strategy. Hi, Nick. Thanks for joining us on the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. It's been good to get you here at last to have a discussion around some of the projects you've been working on, so welcome.
1: Yeah, thanks, Gerry. No, good, good, good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you finally invited me. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have had your other half, on the podcast, she's been on. I don't have, how many times has she been on? She's only been on once, but it was probably Valley for two or three. Yeah, yeah, you probably got about five episodes out of, out of one
0: conversation. I she did great. She did great. So I, it it would just be super to cover a couple of things here, Nick. Obviously, we'll we'll go into an instruction of who you are and your your background. A lot of people listening will already know you. I wanted to talk about the latest on the e-hotel stuff, and I wanted to actually talk to you a bit more in depth about mentoring and just some of the things that people need to think about when they're looking at that, whether they're actually thinking about getting any kind of education at all in property or whether they're just doing it themselves. So I thought we'd maybe touch on that a bit later on. But just to set the scene, Nick, you you and I met uh, 2009, I think. An eight? I think it was. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so right in the head of the storm, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was crazy. Thinking back, to those times yeah. actually. So let's just mm. bring people up speed to that moment. What What are you guys been doing before that?
1: Uh, before that, um, we uh, both Carol and I came from uh, recruitment sales backgrounds, having followed a very traditional path that a lot of us will have taken. You know, school grades, university, try and get A point marks, good job um you know I went into that and um you know I, I remember fairly disillusioned this is going back to late 90s early 2000s very disillusioned in this in the, in the sales job paid all right but you know it was a bit soul destroying um picked up the rich dad poor dad book read it thought yeah totally get that and then put it down went back to work for another four <laughs> or four, five years um before yeah just realizing that I, I, you know, I, I was looking ahead to the next 30 years and thinking, that I don't see very many, you know, 40, 50-plus people in recruitment. Where do they all go? What do they do? They probably um, you know, need to find something else. So it's kind of start, started to think about the future and not just live kind of week to week as you do in your 20s, or oh, most of us do anyway. So, yeah, you know, I was looking for something else. Um, I, I've never had that burning passion for anything particularly. Some people are very lucky in that they do have that. I've never had that. That's interesting. Apart from, yeah yeah apart from i you know i was always interested in property um but i had no idea that that could be something you could be into full-time if you like and make a career out of um i thought you know i I just thought it's something people did on the side just dabbled a little bit here and there and bit of property you know so uh yeah you know carol and i met she's probably told the story briefly i don't know but uh office christmas party both worked for the same company and um yeah, very quickly we realized we had a very similar kind of mindsets and knew that we, we wanted more out of our life really than what we were doing. First thought was set up our own recruitment business. It kind of seemed to be the path that a lot of people did in that kind of industry. It was something we knew. You know, you read a lot of books that say do do something that you know. Um, so we did. Um this is 2007. You know, it was kind of more of a lifestyle kind of business, really, if you like. Um went pretty well for a year. Yeah. Um little, little were we to know what was what was coming. And then, you know, t- then 2008 came and, you know, the bomb dropped out of everything pretty much. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, just thinking back to those times, actually, it was it, was, it, it was crazy, really crazy. wasn't it? Yeah, I, I know kind of there's a lot going on in the world at the moment. that's pretty crazy. But, you know, back then it really did feel like everything was t- crashing down. Yeah. yeah. And so that was the time we thought, well, look, if we're going to do property, we both were into it. Uh, we both found a passion in property, if you like, and knew that people could, could get wealthy through property. And we thought, well now's the time, let, let, let's get into it. So we did.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you you did that in a kind of a more traditional approach, didn't you, of, and me bring words in your mouth, but you, you went out there and started doing buy-to-lets
1: on your own. We did, yeah. I Well, I bought my very first buy-to-let back in 2002 um, with um, a little bit of an inheritance I got. I had two brothers, and one of my brothers I bought car with it. Um, one of them, I think, paid off some debts, and I put mine into a house. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, fast forward, However many years, twenty plus years, I've still got that property, which is more than double value. You um, the I think car. the car, <laughs> the car was sold for scrap <laughs> about five years ago, I think. But that was my first buy-to-let. Did everything wrong. Bought a you know a, a new build off a small developer, um, paid top whack for it. I think I negotiated a thousand pounds off the asking price. Um, and um, yeah, you know, it, it rented out. Rented out well. But when I actually did the maths on it, having you know fast forwarding a few years, did a bit of education, and I realised that it was it was a hope- hopeless purchase. But what it did do was get me into it. It got me over the line of doing a deal, and I still have it. And now it works great. You know, if you if you hold property long enough, generally things can be quite forgiving, <laughs> it can be quite forgiving of mistakes if you hold it long enough. Um, so yeah, you know, we dabbled a bit. Um, 2007, when the market was 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 flying, we bought a few properties in and around the central belt of Scotland. The first property I bought was actually down south. It was in Swindon, where I worked at the time. Um, Yeah, we bought a few properties, again, without really any strategy, without really much of a thought process behind it, other than, you know, we we had some spare capital from the recruitment business and thought, well, let's let's buy some flats with it. And so, yeah, so we had a few kind of done in a very haphazard way, I guess. I think by the time we actually realised we needed to do some formal training, I think we'd, we'd got seven properties and it taken, you know, five, six years to do that. And we thought that was actually pretty good. We thought that was all right. Yep. Um, yep. And, then we're, and then we had our eyes opened to, to what people were, were really doing out there. And it, it kind of blew our mind. And we realized that actually we needed to seriously up our level and up our game, Yeah. which brings me to 2008. Yes. And we, and you in a room yes. in the donald hotel i think in edinburgh that's right that's right three-day
0: event wasn't it can't remember yeah. how much yeah. it costs probably a few hundred quid or something i
1: was best part of grand. i think it was about it's about as a thousand much as that. Um, I'm, yeah, i think was, i know yeah. a
0: better price than that <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but that, to be fair you know
1: we were the changing scared. point wasn't it yeah if, if actually we chased slightly back a couple of a couple of weeks before that we had been to like a free event um a networking event we, we'd kind of realized that we needed to be around people that were doing property seriously so we went to a networking event A guy stood up in that and said, who's got property in the room? And we were like, yeah, we've got properties. And he just did a very quick kind of cash flow calculation, which actually included things, you know, like, um, you know, maintenance costs and other things that we hadn't really factored in. And um, I mean, you know, just, I mean, just a really quick cash flow calculation. We realized, yeah, we don't really know what we're doing here. And properties that we thought were all right actually really weren't. Um, and And that led us to think we need to do something a bit more serious. We need to learn how to do this properly. So uh, so we paid for a course. We went to that course. That's where we met you. Um, It kind of blew our mind as to what was actually possible in property, I think. We met quite, you know, some very interesting people there. Some of the trainers are now like really good friends of ours um, that would just open our eyes to to the fact that you could scale up much quicker than we thought. I didn't know things like HMOs existed at that point, for example. I didn't know other strategies that you could do. I didn't. Realise that you can buy multiple, multiple deals, whole portfolios, raise money, use angel investors, all this kind of stuff. It was all it was all new and just mind blowing, really. What we did think was we have to do this. Yes. <laughs> we have to learn yes. that yes. properly. I do, so. I do remember
0: thinking at that meeting, or at least just the day or two after that, that what I'd been doing part time on the side with property, I just need to get full time. So very shortly after that, I went, found another commercial building, and went full time in it because I, I recognised when I did the numbers like you were just talking about that, actually I hadn't really been paying attention to what the cash flow could be like,
1: mm.
0: and and if I actually got serious about it, the the impact it could make. So that that was that was the direction I went in. So I yes. continued on with the commercial, and you guys got trained up and went on a buying spree.
1: We did yeah so you know we wanted to work with uh, a mentor there was a guy in the room Chris um who you know we could you know we ran a chat him after and he talked through some of the stuff that he was that he'd done and we thought well, yeah we need to get get mentored by this guy and he was great you know he' um we went out and we, we found an area to invest in where the numbers worked really well and this is something that I learned quite early on was a lot of kind of people that want to get into property make it a little bit personal it's a bit emotional it's they imagine having nice, pretty houses, you know, that rented out to lovely tenants, and it's all lovely and super. You know, we realised that that's not where the money is in it. Um, and actually, we had to look at, you know, lower-level properties in high-yield areas, you know, lower price points. But that's where that's where the, the cash flow was. And it soon became a bit of a barometer. If we spoke to Caroline's parents, and, and they said, "Oh, we're investing," and he said, "Oh, come on." And if they, yeah, if they looked in horror. So I apologize to anyone listening who lives comfortable. Um, but uh, you know, it, it was like, well, what are you buying there? It's like, well, because that's what it works. And we showed some of the houses we were buying there, and they were like, what are you buying that for? Well, you know, why don't you buy something nice in Edinburgh? It's like, well, because Edinburgh's like 10 times the price. Yeah, it doesn't work for what we want to do, which was which was income. You know, it was drilled into us really early on that income is is what we need to be focusing on. Um I you know, you still get it today, when you mention your property, they, they say, oh, you're a property developer. I say, oh, well, no, we're an investor. That's different because we are investing for income. We're not speculating for, for growth yeah. and, 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 and sums of cash. Um, so, yeah, it, it was, you know, we, we accelerated really quickly. Um, you know, we went from doing you know, seven deals in five years to doing 15 deals in just over a year. Um and, and it was our mentality that changed I think from kind of previously we thought well we can't buy a property until we have the money to you know focus on the strategy focus on what you're doing um, and you'll find and you'll raise the money you'll get the money yeah. and it was it took us a while for that to sink in um and I know anyone new coming into the market you probably hear that quite a lot but it is actually the way you got to do it if you, if you sit around waiting for the money to magically appear, it, it's, it really does. It's, um, it's a long wait. It's a long wait. But if you've got deals on the table to do, you're much more motivated to go out and raise the money, which is which is what, what we learned how to do. Um, so, yeah, that enabled us to scale up. And then we could, you know, that was very much our training ground. And then we started looking at higher value, higher cash flowing property deals like HMOs that led me to spend a lot of time on the M6 um, down to investment areas um, down in in Birmingham and then Liverpool after that, Um, investing in student houses, and that, you know, talks a load of things, you know, development models, um, you know, much higher cash flow numbers. And we started our path kind of upwards towards kind of bigger and better things.
0: Yeah, and now when we had Caroline on, she was talking about the uh, e-hotel in Stockport and at the time, I don't think we quite touched on the, the the latest deal, but maybe we could go on to that in a minute. But, but e-hotels, this is this is where you're at right now in terms of the strategy. Is that correct? Or are you looking at other things as well? Nick?
1: Yeah, no, mainly, uh, well, I'll look at a couple of other things. But yeah, I think we haven't really kind of finalised actually what we call these things, whether e-hotels yeah. or smart hotels. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of a hybrid service accommodation hotel model, essentially, um, so the first one was in Southport, Merseyside, um, mainly aimed at the golfing market. There's a, a string of really high-end golf courses down there, um, and it was it was a model that was looking at taking kind of you know repurposing like old B&Bs um, where you had somebody living, you know, an owner occupied living in part of the building, renting out the other room or you know, hiring out the other rooms, making the breakfast, all that. And we looked at go like, well, look, you know, we don't want to do that. But if, if we actually can, can create a more modern take on, on, on that kind of market, you know, you, if you don't need to live there, you immediately gain a third of the building back that you can then turn into revenue earning space. Um, if you can find a way to automate a lot of the other processes, to, to mean that you don't need a live-in person. So we've got it down to you know, one part-time person who's there, doesn't really necessarily need to meet and greet guests, but she does sometimes. But she looks after, like, you know, making sure the cleaners, you know, do their jobs properly. She's on, on top of marketing and local, you know, initiatives. So she's just been out meeting with some of the, the golf courses around there to, to get partnership deals so that they can send their, their wealthy clients over to us. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it, we looked at that model, and if you can automate it and, and reduce the amount of staff that you need, suddenly it's a very, very profitable model. You don't actually need to be full a huge amount of time to, to make a really good. Return from it, so that was kind of our try. Our, our, our testing ground was was Southport. Well, we always really wanted to bring this model to Edinburgh, which is where we where we live. And so yeah, the current deal is we've acquired a townhouse um, in the west in the West End, actually um, about a five minute walk from from Princess Street. Um, traditional Georgian t- townhouse. Um, it was a dilapidated office building that we are going to turn into a fifteen bed um, smart boutique hotel. So that's in process at the moment. Hopefully getting through planning in the next couple of weeks um it's been a bit of a um bit of a, a challenge in some ways but i think we're almost there um but yeah that's really exciting so you know that that's a project we we think should add you know some serious cash flow into our business and and once we get the first one up and running, we'll probably look to scale that up and and create a you know a network of three or four kind of high-end boutique smart hotels which, in Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah which improves your efficiencies even more Exactly, yeah. Because then, you know, we still even if we had two or four, we'd probably still only need one person. In fact, our manager in Southwark, just chatted with her last night, and she's um, she's desperately keen to manage our Edinburgh one as well. She's, you know, she can do a lot of that remotely. Mm-hmm. You know, we've really good systems in place. You know, we use you know, things like smart locks, so that just reduces the amount of staff contact points that you need. Yeah. Automated phone answering systems. You can eliminate a lot of, you know, the, the, the heavy staffing costs. You always can need a cleaning team and a laundry service. But these are things you can outsource. Yeah. You just
0: need somebody who understands hospitality and that the yeah. customer, you know, can't have it half-hoursed. <laughs> it's got to be exactly. right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, this kind of thing, you live and die on your reviews. Um, so we, we have to make sure that, you know, um, the customer experience is, is, is excellent, which can be quite interesting at times when you've got a difficult one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, we need to make sure those reviews are good. It's a very different model to property in, in that sense, but it's kind of, I say, it's like, um, it's almost like a business version of, of, of property. It's it's still property. The main mindset is around the principles we learned, you know, we, we still want to be buying in, refurbing, enhancing value, recycling money out the deal and end up with a cash flowing asset. So that's very much property, but it is a business because it does require a little bit more management. We are dealing with guests and not tenants. Yeah.
0: There's a trading element there, isn't there? But as you say, the principle's is the same. We, we are all in the space business. It's what we do with the space. It's, it's working out what yes. we think is the best opportunity, isn't it? And it may be that in a few years' time, it's something else. But ultimately, it's about recognising what that market demand is and, and developing the space out to
1: suit it. Exactly. So building like this is, is one that you know I can't see us ever selling. it. This is one that, in my mind, this will be – you know, a, a hotel operation for the next 10, 15 years until all its, all its debts are serviced and paid. And then we've got a townhouse in Edinburgh that could become anything else. It yeah. could be turned to resi, could be a house, could go back to to um, commercial if the market is there for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those things that it's an asset that we we'll always have at the moment. Okay, so after that project...
0: Are you, because we have spoken about a little bit about industrial, Nick, are these other mm-hmm. things that you're looking at, because there's a lot of balls there to keep balanced and keep in the air. There's the, you've still, you kept most of the product that you've bought. So it all yes. needs managing. Um, have you got a team that helps you now or have you just managed to systematize the majority of the uh, management of those different properties because they're in different locations. It's quite interesting. As your business has grown, you you mentioned earlier about going from Liverpool, well, Cumbernauld to Liverpool, sorry, to Birmingham, to Liverpool, Stockport, Edinburgh. And each time you've left a footprint, it's not like you've up sold everything and moved on. There are buildings in all these different locations. So how are you coping with these extra layers of management that you have to bring in, I assume to bring in, to actually make all that still take over?
1: yeah it, it's um we, we've always been in the mindset of we we go where the deals you know where the deals work for, for what we're trying to do at the time uh this is something I teach a lot of students I work with is that you know look outside of your immediate area. there might be opportunities depending on what you're actually trying to achieve so for me like HMOs was what we wanted to do to build income that didn't work where we, in Scotland particularly for us um, so you know it made sense to, to go where it did and you know, that's why I was in Birmingham because wanted to do student houses that's why i went to university so it was a natural place for me to start um so yeah each time we've built a portfolio there we've built a management team a good you know the bedrock of that is a really good managing agent Um, so that's where my work comes in as the investor is to to put the team in place so everywhere we've been yes we've left that footprint we've got a a a core management team in place that management team would normally be able to bring in the um you know any maintenance staff builders and that that we need there and then sitting over the top of that is our um our virtual assistant catherine who um kind of manages all the agents if you like so it's taken a lot of the admin side out of us and it's, um she's she's brilliant she's taken so much workload off us of the, of the you know the, the admin stuff we you know a aren't very good at and b don't really want to do yeah great so you've
0: got a local team that you build up they're left in situ, and then you've got a virtual assistant there helping with, I guess, numbers, matrix things coming back and forth from them, any issues that maybe have to be
1: flagged up to you or she might be able to do with herself. That's a nice lean team. Yeah, exactly. So she fills a lot of stuff out. She can make decisions at certain price points. She maintains everything on a lovely Airtable spreadsheet. Um, so, yeah, it's um, works really well. But whether we need to be involved or make decisions on anything, we'll, we'll get involved at that point.
0: Okay, Fab. And that's not the only thing you're up to, though, of course. And over the years, um, a lot of listeners will know you from mentoring, from education side of the business, from all the different strategies you've used, worked through and, and gained knowledge from. And I just want to touch on that a little bit. Okay, yeah. so there'll, there'll be some people listening that have thought about, or they've heard about mentorship or training and things They're like, no, oh, I'm not sure I want to do that. What's that all about? So One of the questions I had for you is if somebody's got to that stage where they've maybe done two or three properties, they're starting to recognise that maybe there's better ways of scaling this, what's the process that people should take when actually deciding on whether they should perhaps take on a mentor, go through some kind of educational process and what to look out for from the mentor, but also from themselves? What else do they need to think about, about from themselves to actually go into
1: that kind of environment that process it's really interesting i've never been asked that before um it's i think the most important decision to make at the very beginning of this is do i want to do this seriously is this a hobby or is this going to be in my business do i want this to, to change something um fundamentally um and i think that's a really important question to ask yourself um because if it is a hobby that's great and that's and there's nothing wrong with that if it is a bit on the side that's fine
0: yeah
1: um, and and there'll be different decisions to make but if 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 you're looking at the thing and thinking, I know there's opportunities in property and, and I want to change my life and I, I, I want to do this seriously and professionally, to me, it, you know, it makes sense you have to go and learn what to do. And the best way of doing that is finding someone that's done it and leverage off their their, their knowledge and experience. I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, because otherwise, you've just got to learn it all yourself. And, you know, I speak to a lot of people who say, well, yeah, I can learn it on YouTube. Well, OK, on you go. You know, how many hours of YouTube have you got to learn? you know, to actually go out and, and seriously do something where well, you've got a mentor that you can bounce ideas off, talk to, be out within the field looking at a property that's yours or, or you know, that you're looking to, to buy. It's, it's invaluable, why, why wouldn't you want that? Um, so for me, it was, it was, from the very beginning, it was no great I wanted somebody to show us what to do, you know, and you've got to be able to park your ego to the side and stop thinking you know everything because you can't, possibly. And just accept that there's people out there that know more than you and, and will help you. Um, and, and show you what to do.
0: Yeah, so for for themselves, yeah, they need to be able to go in have, with yeah. open, open-minded.
1: Gotta be open minded. You, you've got to accept that you, you can't do this on your own. You really, really can't. Um, and um, you know, there are people out there that that will help. Um, I've dealt with all, all sorts of personalities actually the years, a lot of people that quite cynical about property education and the reality is that there's a lot of property educators out there that probably aren't qualified to you know to teach um, or to show you so the really important thing is to, is to you know to know who you're getting involved with and, and to make sure that, that that person that organization you know is genuine and, and that they are actually got mentors that have done this and are successful at it what,
0: what sort of things do um,
1: they need to do to do that ask, ask really good questions You know, um, I think a lot of it comes on gut feeling. You know, if I, you know, I I see a lot of things out there and I I see so-called property gurus out there talking a lot, you know, about what people should or shouldn't do. But I don't really see a lot of them actually doing things themselves. And that would be my first question to anyone is what what are you doing now? And if you're not getting a satisfactory answer, then move on. Um, You've got to be able to, to trust, you know, the individual, the organization that you're going to get involved in to educate you. They've got to, well, they've got to, they've got to have walk to the walk, you know. Yeah. Um, and if, if you get a, again, property guru who thinks they can do everything, you've got to question that as well, because you can't. I'll be the first person to say, if someone came to me and asked and asked me to mentor them in terms of going out and doing industrial warehousing, I'm going to say that's not, that's not me. I know someone that is that. <laughs> Everybody knows Um, But it's not me, you know, so why would I be able to mentor someone in in that particular strategy because that's not what I do. So it's important, I think, to to make sure that if you're looking for education and if you're going to do this seriously, you should be, is is to work with individuals and organisations that have the expertise that you need. Okay, so
0: over the years, I suspect you've worked with hundreds of people personally yourself. Mm -hmm. So you've got a little bit of a track record. And you've had a chance, I suspect, to be able to occasionally step out of that conversation you're having with that mentee and actually think about the overall context and maybe recognise some of the things that those that have had really good success and those that have maybe held themselves back, what, what, what would you say are the differences there? Because clearly there'll be some there that have just gone and rocketed. And others that maybe have just quietly disappeared again because they just, for whatever reason, decided not really to get too much more um, property or effect going forward. What what are those differences that you've
1: spotted? If I could sum it up. Yeah, if I could sum it up, it would be the, 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 the people that are able to get out of their own way are the ones that are going to be successful. It's all attitude and it's it, it's all mindset. Anyone out there can go and learn how to do this. It's it's you know, it's it's not brain surgery. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It isn't going to be easy. But the principles we we talk about and we teach are fairly easy or simple for someone to learn. Anyone can go and learn it. Whether anyone actually goes out and is successful doing it, it all comes down to their their attitude towards it. And the, the, those mentees that I've worked with, and I know that the, there's quite a few that that are in your network, Jerry. The ones that have been successful, are the ones that, that are open to learning they will accept what you say without trying to overthink it and and get on with it and take action. And that, that is, is the absolute key. You know, we can all sit and watch YouTube and and read books and all the rest of it. If you don't actually go out there and implement the action or take, take the action on what you learn, then you're not going to get anywhere. And that's, I think where the the mentoring process is really important. I've spent many, many hours out in the field in my students' locations, you know, it's not just all done on the phone or whatever. I have been out and spent days in the field, people in their patch, looking at their own deals. And that's just been invaluable a lot of time for them to actually see how a, you know, one of the better professional investor operates. And that's what a lot of it is, I think, is you can read all this in a book and, you know, watch YouTube stuff, but until you actually are out with a mentor or seeing how a professional investor operates, you can think you're doing everything right, but you're probably doing about 10% of it. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to take you back to a comment you said quite early on in this, um, back at the start, just to tie in with those people that go off and get it done, and they need to get out of their own way. Some of them are really motivated. Maybe some of those that don't get going too much are maybe a bit scared. But others will actually use the reason that they don't have a burn. You mentioned earlier on Mm. that you weren't necessarily wanting lots of different things and had a real motivation or that's maybe not the right phrase, but some specific goals that you were really after, yet you still went and did it anyway. And a lot of people would use that as an excuse. They say, well, I can't think of a reason. I can't think of a reason to go and get my hands dirty and get on with this. And so they kind of sit on their hands. But you didn't use that as an excuse. What's, what's the what,
1: what went on there? Well, yeah. Whilst I didn't have a a burning passion for anything particularly, you know, going up, going through edu- you know, formal education, um, I, I did have a vision of the lifestyle that I wanted to be able to lead, and I I couldn't see how the traditional path I was on was going to get me to, to that. Yeah. So, so that for me was was really the starting point. Is you know, knowing where you're trying to get to, and 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 looking at where you are now and what actions you're taking, and seeing seeing if that's aligned. And this is something I put a lot, of, or my mentees on is aligning current actions with your vision and your goals. As soon as you start talking about vision, you see some people's eyes glaze over. Oh, you know, we're going to talk about goals, but it's, so, it's just so so important. <laughs> if you don't know, if you don't know where you're trying to get to, how do you know what direction to move it? Yeah, yeah, it's, you've got to know what you're trying to get to. So that was my start point. Is you know, when Carol and I, it was very much a, something we did together. Automatically, we where, where we did it, you know, we sat down, we got this book and a, and a pen and we were just like, right, what do we actually want from life? And that's probably a question that I would imagine not that many people actually sit down and ask themselves, um, what do I actually want? And, and that was our start point. So we worked out what we wanted out of life and then we worked out how we were going to do it. And it was going to start with learning how to do property seriously. How to take it to the next level? How to scale it up? How to add other income streams to that? And um, and everything grew from there. So you know that that for me is, is the absolute you know um, crux of it is property can give you anything you want. It can you know whatever level you want to get to, you can get there. Property will get you there, but you've got to have the right strategy and you've got to take the right actions. Otherwise, you you'll stay where you are.
0: would you say that you are? A fairly relaxed, phlegmatic type of character. You're
1: probably better to answer that, what do you think?
0: (laughs) I think you are. I think what's refreshing, right, is the degree of success you guys have achieved, and yet you, you certainly are not somebody that I would see as this highly motivational character who just has to be you know, that nervous twitch all the time that some people seem to have, you you have proven that you can just do this pragmatically a sensible approach and uh, work up to whatever it is you want to achieve through property. And I just think it's refreshing to have a conversation <laughs> with somebody who's not necessarily talking at a million miles an hour and also has gone and done it. I just think it's really... But I guess if you're mentoring a lot, you, you need to have that skill set, really, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think I've I've probably learned that over the years that, yeah, you know, um, as as I mentioned, you work with all sorts of personality types from many, many different backgrounds and levels of experience. So, yes, you've got to be able to, you know, again, have some level of calm and and be able to to work with anyone uh, at any level with any, any kind of background. A lot of people come in with preconceived ideas about what they can or can't achieve. And for me, it's the same. Anyone can do this. Not everyone will, but anyone can with the right training and application, simple yeah. as that. And, and I think, you know, something like yourself is, is very similar to that, Jay, when we, you know, we are maybe kind of we kept in touch a little bit over the years, but then when we kind of probably reconnected, you're the same. you know, you're fairly understated, but you just cracked on and, and done these amazing things in commercial property. And it's, it's you know, it's opened my eyes to to other possibilities in, in that space. You know, um, we've always been more resi, but now we can see that actually commercial is going to give us a lot more opportunities. Yeah.
0: That's great. And just, just to dive just a little bit more on the mentor thing, one last question for you. You mentioned there about working with all these individuals who kind of taught you to maybe sit back a little bit. and Maybe you had that skill set already, but to, to absorb what they're saying and, and to be able to reflect back to them. But what, what other things have you gained as a mentor from all those discussions that you've had? Those many different times out in the field, discussions on Zoom recently, of course. Just what, what other things have you gained by doing that process? over and over yeah i
1: mean I, I get huge amounts from it that's why i continue to do it everyone's different and, and you learn something from everyone you know I've, I've learned how to handle you know lots and lots of, of of different situations that i wouldn't have probably been exposed to had i not not done that i've found new strategies for myself you know one of my key strategies that, that i did I'm an early mentor where we were out in the field and i noticed something that was happening and in the student market and thought i like that let's try and do that in my area um and, you know, and it works. So absolutely, yeah, I've gained huge amounts from it. And it's huge satisfaction for me when I see my students that I've worked with go on and be really, really successful and be- often become mentors themselves. A lot of, a lot of the guys that I work with now um, have come through having been mentored by me and are now mentoring other people. And that gives you huge amounts of satisfaction.
0: Yeah, our our strategy or commercial is sometimes seen as kind of the next step. and And there are a number of... Your students that we've started to work with, mm. and they are so recognizable because of their attitude, their skills that they've developed. But it's just that kind of that balanced approach. I just think it's fascinating when you're looking at people and how they, how their personality, because like you say, all, all the skills and everything could be learned. But how they personally deal with things, what their attitude is and what their attitude is to risk and, and, and also just themselves actually recognising some of the things they maybe need to work on, some of the things they maybe change, what their personality is like and how that interacts with other people. And a lot of the time, individuals, and, and I'd sort of put myself in this, you get on with the world from your point of view and sometimes you need to step out to see what else is going on and and just about everybody I've come across that's been working with you guys has that kind of attitude they've they've got that context they're looking at life in a slightly more I guess
1: not a higher level that's the wrong phrase Um, it's something that I work with you know everyone that worked with me the starting point is always what you're trying to achieve here let's zoom out because so many people get stuck in the day-to-day and they fixate on what's directly ahead of them. Whereas, as soon as you just zoom out a little bit and take that—it's a nice analogy, actually—that bird's eye view, you can actually, you know, look at everything that's going on. And you know, I, I think as a mentor, what I've learned is to is to is to take notice of other aspects or, or of individuals' life. They bring everyone brings something different. But it's to whatever the story is they're telling themselves is why they may not be able to do something. You know, you can recognize, it, you can help them overcome whatever obstacle that is. And, and I've come across so many obstacles over years um, to, to help people overcome and i kind of always now um i probably within i don't know a couple of minutes of, of having a conversation with someone i, I I'll, I'll be able to fairly well establish whether they're going to make you know make it or not really and be successful
0: you might as well get yourself a tent and a, and a little ball right a wee glass ball <laughs> <laughs> everyone is yeah. going to be coming up to you now <laughs> and saying right
1: Give me, you've got two minutes. Am I going to make it or not? <laughs> it's probably a bit unfair. It's probably a little bit unfair, actually. But I, I think you can tell with someone's attitude quite quickly now. Yes, for sure. They're, they're going to be open, open enough to, to, to be able to work. And are they going to be hard kind of work of or
0: are we pushing on an open door here?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think. And, you know, I kind of used to gauge it when, um, if I had the one-to-one with someone, how soon it would be before they would cry. Um, yes. And I know there's people on your podcast, there's one record holder, I'm not going to name, but I, I, I know... Uh, Will be on this podcast, but um, but yeah, because it's emotional and it means something. And as soon as you get you know, you see that when you zoom out, you look at the big picture, that it it really means something, then you know you've got someone you can work with really well and you can help them because they're open to a lot of them to say, Look, just tell me what to do, I will do it, yeah. And and that's that's the word you want to hear as a mentor is tell me what to do, I'll go and do it, and you help keep me accountable. Brilliant, yeah.
0: Brilliant. Let's bring it back to property just for the last couple of questions. Thanks for going into that. I I really enjoyed that part of the conversation. So we've been talking about scaling up and we did mention earlier on about um, doing that mindset shift on finance. So how do you typically finance deals now? Now that you've got this fantastic portfolio with cash flow flooding in, right? <laughs> how do you finance never, never deals? It's still like that though, Joey, does it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you must be you must be self-financing, you know, when you're in your ski haul, you, oh yeah, we'll buy that one cash. You know, come on, tell us. How you how you doing your finance on deals now?
1: I would love if that was reality. We always find uh, with this that yeah, the money's always it's coming in, you see it, you go, oh, that's nice, and then it goes off somewhere else. <laughs> uh, invested. Yeah. Um, So how do we finance things? Uh, I mean, yes, some of it is self-finance. We've got a a core group of angel investors that we work with as well that that, that finance things. We've got a very good broker team um, who's very creative about how we can finance things. Um, So, yes, we'll mix all all of those. Um, Mainly, I'll say a lot of our stuff is is, um, angel driven. Uh, A lot of private investors that know us, work with us, we've built up over the years um that enables us to do more if you're just relying on your own funds all the time you're very restricted about what what you can and can't do we don't want to be be restricted um having a broker um a really good broker is absolutely key because sometimes you know they they can make deals happen something you never thought you 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 could you know it's really important not to make assumptions about financing things because you know you talk to a broker and they can throw something out of left field that you thought i didn't know you could do that um, so yeah, right team in place in a mixture of angels and, and so. Yeah. And I think it's important for for listeners
0: just in terms of context to think, well, if you are doing buy-to-lets right now, as you scale up, if that's what you want to do, zeros go on the end of the money you're talking about. So, yep. you know, wherever you are in this process, if you want to scale out of doing the, the kind of baby buy-to-lets, you need more access to money. So. It's the same issues, it's just bigger numbers. So um, would one possibly look at doing financing a seven-figure development yourself? Well, maybe one day, but, but you know, as your portfolio grows and those size of projects grow, the issues are the same. It's just you might need to find... Um, some bigger funds from other people, from banks, wherever it is you go. But the issues always remain, don't they? Particularly if you're scaling. If you're staying on the same stuff, then you may be able to start, that momentum may start allowing you to buy stuff cash. But all of us want to grow bigger, <laughs> bigger developers, don't we?
1: Exactly. and Yeah, you're absolutely right. Since so principles remain the same, it's just more numbers, you know, more zeros on the on the end of it. And actually, bizarrely, I, I think when it comes to like money raising, things like that, it's actually, it's actually easier. A lot of people think it, it's harder to raise more money, but it actually isn't. I think it's harder to raise a smaller sums. So Small I think once you start talking numbers, yeah. different types of financing come in, and you know it forces you to talk, to, you know, operate in different circles with different levels of investor. Um, so yeah, same problem, more zeros.
0: And just to answer a little question that might be in somebody's mind listening to this: Can anyone raise private finance, or do you need lots of
1: experience first? um anyone can raise money it's it's not people don't lend very rarely I find if you talk about our angel investors they they don't scrutinize the projects they're investing in you you know it's about they invest in people they know like and trust um so if you've got a good deal and you can you can prove the numbers and potential angels get to know you and like you and trust you you're you're raising money even if it's your first deal so I've had many many of my students raise money for their first deals it's a block that people put in place and use if i'm being brutally frank you know they'll put it in place and use that as a reason why they can't do something you know if you get have the right attitude and the right team with you then um you know yeah you absolutely can raise money for your first deals fab
0: right nick um, before i ask you to give us some details of where people can follow you and all that lovely stuff what would you do if you could jump in a time machine and go back and meet nick and caroline Back in 2004, whenever it was you started buying stuff, what, what advice would you... A bit further, yeah, 2001, whatever it was, what yeah. advice would you give to that younger self?
1: Start now. <laughs> start now uh, would be the advice. Um, if I could rewind back to when I first picked up Rich Dad Poor in 2001, start now. But don't wait. What are you waiting for? You know, it's um, there's always reasons. I was talking to a good friend of mine yesterday, actually, and um, he um, had a so I'm slight tangent, but, um, you know, he had some money to invest for a few years ago. I'm talking about it, six, seven, eight years ago. And he said, well, you know, what we do?" do? I said, go and buy property with it. You know, I'd show him what he was doing. He came up to look at some of the HMOs we were doing at the time. And then what did he do? He went and put his money into his mate's restaurant. Oh, dear. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, look, that, that could have worked out brilliantly. As it happened, it did, you know. And um, I saw him yesterday, he said, uh, could have been doing this eight years ago, couldn't I? And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could have. Did try and tell you. He said, yeah, I know, but I'm doing it now. But he to be fair. But, you know, it's it start now. Um, just get on with it. You know, life is short. Don't waste it.
0: Would you have um, tried to encourage yourself to scale? Do you think there were some personal things that are holding
1: you back? Hopefully, yeah. You- I, absolutely. I, I had the block around money. For sure mm. you know um, when i first did, started doing my hmos in birmingham i was offered quite a few of them you know i i, I worked hard to get myself into that market, a like competitive market um, and i got offered you know quite a few in the, in the first three or four months and i i didn't commit because i, I had the how am i going to raise the money to do all these deals because each one was you know 100k refurb this is going back a few years um, so I didn't, and I, you know, I wish I could go back to, to that point of me and say, just say yes, <laughs> then go raise the money, you know, and believe that that, that you will. So yeah, there, there's there, there's lots of things I would say to myself, um, but mainly around, uh, yeah, you know, don't make excuses, start now, say yes, and then what, and then worry about and it, and then oh, worry about it after. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Great way to finish it. Thanks, Nick. So if people want to follow you um, and, and Nick, let's talk briefly about where they can find you for um, your mentoring service and for the other education that you're involved in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, although to be fair, um, I let Caroline do all the Instagram stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's probably best to connect. You can connect with me directly on the Instagram, Nick underscore Clayton underscore property. Or Caroline underscore Clayton underscore Property. She's the one that posts all the stuff about things we're doing. So if you want to follow us, then follow her. If you want to connect directly with me, then both means do that.
0: But I think it would be important and remiss of us not to just quickly talk about PWS and okay. you know how people can actually contact you and, and and be involved in some of the projects that you guys are working on in terms of training.
1: Yeah, in terms of property and what what we've done is is we've um, we've brought together um, a, a group of. Investors that we've worked with over the years, um, including yourself, Jerry, obviously, um, who have um, got expertise in certain areas. So we've got we're we're like a collective of investors um, that help and train others. You know, we we take anyone who's just starting out, want to do their first buy to let through to people who've done buy to lets and maybe other stuff, and want to do get into commercial or want to get into um, doing developments or conversion projects. We've, We've got mentors and trainers have been there and done it and, and, and are experts in that in their field so yeah you know uh, we have a, a, a variety of, of different levels of training for those that, that, that are serious about it and you can find us at propertywealthsystem.com
0: fab we'll pop that in the show notes too and as you say i've been um involved in that well, sorry oh there we go
1: propertywealthsystem.co.uk
0: not we'll, we'll we'll sort that out in the show notes. And yeah, so I've been working with you guys, and and um, it's been a while. We've been talking about it for a while, haven't we? About trying to get somebody together. So so I'm helping out with CMO stuff as part of that training. Um, and yeah. you know it's it's been it's been great. And all the people that go through, as I say, have been going through your system are um, well balanced. They've got great ambition. But clearly, they've got their feet on the ground, and and it seems that you guys are are very good at doing that. So that the expectation is there, but equally the understanding of you know this isn't going to be easy. Um, I'm going to have to yeah, put yeah. in the effort and the prepared to do it.
1: Absolutely, you know, you know we're, we're not the kind of shouty guru types. Uh, we're just a collective of, of, of investors who've been there and done it in in our particular fields, and I want to help help others to do it. So yeah, you know, it, it's we'll, we'll tell you the warts and all. <laughs> you know, it's 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 not plain sailing for sure. Um, it's certainly not easy, but the principles you you know that someone can learn are fairly simple. Yeah, it's all about the application. You know, and we'll help you to to get where you want to go if you're prepared to to put the work in.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I really like about this, the the organisation, the setup, is that group of people. Um that peer-to-peer support the opportunity to learn about other strategies at a higher level because you're mixing with people that are as you say specialists in different fields and, and it's just a great environment to be in
1: so um yeah, yeah. No, we enjoy i enjoy a few good nights out
0: yeah for sure there's that element too <laughs> <laughs> so nick thanks so much for joining us on the podcast really appreciate your time uh we'll pop all that stuff in the show notes very best and we will speak to you again very soon
1: thanks for having me and uh, good luck to
0: everyone there. I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast, and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews, and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes, and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.